Well, good morning, church. I'm Scott Weatherford. Did you enjoy the music today? Didn't these guys do a great job? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm kind of a musical snob, and so uh, I, I felt like, well, I just felt like I was someplace in Texas today. Didn't that feel good? I want to thank Jonathan. Uh, Dan is obviously, he's taking some time off on a sabbatical. Well-deserved after 20 years. He needs a little time. Uh, as our staff say, he needs a mental health break. I think that's mostly from me. They need to get away. But Dan is away, and Dan's doing Spanish immersion. Can you imagine that? So when Dan comes back, only speak to him in Spanish, okay? So he's away, and uh, we were supposed to have um, Brian Dunn here, which is uh, Johnny Sandy Dunn's son, and an emergency came up in his church, so he couldn't get away. And Jonathan stepped in at last minute and led us today, and I think he did a great job. So let's thank God for Jonathan as well and the team. <clears throat> so we're in this series called Hope Restored. And last week I talked about there's hope for you. And, and I've had so many of you come to me and say that talk really kind of sank into your souls. You kinda, it kind of resonated with you. Because a lot of times we feel like there's no hope. Especially when we have failed. When we've just blown it. When we've made decisions or circumstances have come up in our lives and we just don't seem like we can make it. You, you remember those commercials for that uh, emergency alert system for senior adults. It says, I've fallen and I can't get up. Well, many of us feel like we've fallen spiritually and we just can't get up. We've done things, said things, become things that we never intended and we're at this place of brokenness. Now, am, am I talking to you now? Yeah, that's five of you. So the rest of you will talk about lying next week. Failure from lying. Or, or actually, uh, you haven't failed at all. You've done a great job of that. Yogi Berra, the great baseball player said this, it ain't over till it's what? Over, which is ridiculous but true. Now, there's been a great theologian who said this, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And I know you've heard me say that time and time again, and it might be a little worn, but it's absolutely true that until you're done with this life, God is not done with you. And God is working you. In fact, when you're done with this life, God is still not done with you because God's relationship is everlasting. It's not temporal. God made you to love you forever. Wow. The wisest man in all the world, Solomon, he said this, it is God who's placed eternity in the hearts of man. So God has created you to be eternal. That's pretty good, isn't it? Now turn to your neighbor and say to them, I can see eternity in your eyes. Will you do that? <clears throat> now some of you just got creepy, so don't be creepy with that. Now all these statements are rooted in the deepest desire for us in our lives to somehow recover when we've failed, when we've fallen and we can't get up. All of us need to be restored from failure. Why? Because all of us have sinned and fell short of God's glorious standards. That's every one of us in this room. We all have failures. Now, many times, especially when you're new to a, a gathering like this, you'll walk in and you'll look around and you'll say, you know, everyone's here has got their act together. Or if you've gone through a recent trauma, say you've gone through a, a death of a loved one or a separation or a divorce, you'll walk into a room and you'll think there's nobody in here that's grieving. No one in here that's experiencing some level of loss or or failure, or perhaps you've really done something that's got you in trouble with the law, perhaps. 
or gotten you in trouble with some other authority. Maybe it's the authority in your home. Maybe it's the authority of your spouse. And you walk in here and you think, well, there's nobody else in here like me. I'm the only one struggling with this. Lies. Lies. Every one of us in here are a dumpster fire. But we don't want to stay a dumpster fire. And that's why we are here. Because we need hope when we failed. Because we will fail. Now, God could take failures and turn them into triumphs. Let me tell you about a failure I had. You're going to like this one. When I was 17 years old, a senior in high school, we were about to have our senior prom. And I didn't have a date. I didn't have a hope for a date. But this girl approached me and she said, Scott, would you take me to the senior prom? A girl talked to me. <laughs> and I said, absolutely. So we set up the time, the place, and I rented the tux. I mean, I was going to be Bond, James Bond. So I got the white dinner jacket, the black slacks. I mean, the whole nine yards. And I was a hunk, a hunk, a good looking, burning love at 17. And I remember I had money in my pocket. I had a date on my arm. I took her out to eat to this nice restaurant. I grew up in Destin, Florida, there on the beach. And this great revolving restaurant. Remember those were in vogue when you would sit in this restaurant and it would revolve until everybody got motion sickness and they'd shut those things down. But we were in this great restaurant and the bill came and I had exactly the amount of money in my pocket to pay the bill without leaving a tip. So I told my date, I said, why don't you go to the restroom and I'll, I'll take care of this. So I stiffed the waiter that night. That's the only option I had. We get to the prom and they were taking pictures. And, I, and it was $10 to take pictures, have pictures made. And I really didn't care about pictures. I'm a guy and you know, all of guys, most of us were, we'd rather be shot than take a picture, right? We only do it because I, I said, let's get a picture of everybody. Everybody get together. Let's get a picture. It's like, ah, uh, why do we have to do this? Anyway, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, the one brave soul in this, in this audience. <clears throat> so pictures, pictures, 10 bucks. I don't have 10 bucks. And my date said, oh, Scott, we need to get a picture. We need to get a picture. We need to get a picture. And and I reached in my pocket, and I found a $10 bill. Somebody left in that tux, that rented tux. I said, absolutely, baby. Let's get some pictures made. <laughs> and so we get our pictures made, and uh, we're, we start to dance. And uh, did I mention I'm a Baptist? <laughs> I grew up a Baptist, been a Baptist preacher in my family in successive generations since the 1700s. I can't dance. I, I can't. But I was trying, and it was in the 70s, so it was... Disco fever, and I rip my britches. I mean, blow them out from stem to stern. Nothing there. I mean, I was exposing myself. And, and my, my dancing, I'm, I'm cutting off about 10,000 puns. It'll be inappropriate right now. Help me, Jesus. All right. Focus, Fox, myself. So I say to my date, I said, I have ripped my britches. And she goes, what? I said, I've ripped my britches. She says, what? The music was loud. And as the music stopped, I said, I've ripped my britches. <laughs> so we go back to my house so I could put on some britches. And we get there. My mama says, we paid too much money for that tuxedo. I'm going to sew them britches up. And you're going to put them back on. And you're going to wear them back to the prom. That's how my mother talked. She's from Mississippi. She said, Scott, 
So I'm waiting there with my date, who I'm absolutely her last resort. And, 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 and it happens to all my family, my brothers and my sisters, they'd all moved off, but they'd all come home. They were all there. All the neighbors had come over. Everybody was there to witness my ripped britches. My poor date was thrust in the middle of the Weatherford chaos. And Tara could tell you about the Weatherford chaos. There is no chaos like Weatherford chaos. We are loud. We're all extrovert. Everybody talks. Nobody listens. And this is where this poor little girl was. And my mama sewed my britches up. We went back to the prom. And she left me for another guy that night. (laughs) Epic failure. But had she not left me, there would have been no Tara. And God leveraged failure for his glory. Now, Tara's thinking, oh, had he not ripped his britches? <laughs> <clears throat> but the truth is, God is the God who sees, get this, he sees the end before the beginning. He sees the end before the beginning. And what you think is a colossal fail, God is actually leveraging. Now, I know ripping a britches at a palm, prom dancing, that's really not even a big deal. But even when my failure is catastrophic, listen to this, my failure can become a pathway for God's redemption. My failure can become a pathway for God's redemption. Now, when I think of failures biblically, there are several people that come to my mind. Noah, David, Abraham, Jacob, Samson, others. In fact, I heard a, a, a theologian said out of the 100 great leaders in the Bible, only 30 of them actually finished life strong. 70% failure rate. And I bet you if we dug around in the 30 remaining, we'd probably find some warbly minutes in their life where they made decisions and they did things that brought about shame and reproach. Now, out of all these biblical people, the one person that really stands out to me is, is Peter. Peter, the rock, Cephas, the rock, the one that Jesus says, I, I will build my church. He's talking about himself, and he's pointing to Peter, knowing that Peter would be a catalytic person in the movement of the new church. Peter would fish, first preach the first sermon where 3,000 people would respond in faith to Christ. Peter would be the center point of the movement, even though John James would become the head of, of, of the Jerusalem church. Peter was the flaming evangelist. God would use him greater. But man, did he fail. Jesus had several interesting conversations with Peter. And there's two of them I want to point out today. First of all, it was found in Luke 22, 31 through 32. He, Jesus said this to Peter. And his, obviously his name is Simon Peter. <clears throat> and he says to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. And actually, the, the word you in Greek is each one of you. So y'all, you're in the sifting. You're part of the sifting because you're part of the brethren. But I have pleaded in prayer for you. That's beautiful that Jesus prays for us. In, in Romans 8, 26, it says, we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit makes groanings for us, with, makes intercession for us with groanings too deep for us to understand. Jesus is praying for you. Wow. Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when, when 
You have repented and turned again to me. Strengthen your brothers. And the word there for strengthen, it's sterizo. To strengthen, to build up, to undergird, to come alongside, to really support on. They come in and strengthen the brothers. Now, when I read that, I realize that this conversation is disturbing to me on a few levels. And I'm not going to take time to exegete that passage. Maybe at some other time I will, because I've written a book about this. <clears throat> but it's just disturbing me. Why would Jesus allow Satan to have his hand in Peter's life? Because there was stuff in Peter's life that had to go. So Jesus played Satan like a cheap violin. And he says, sift the, sift the boy. Now, I would like for Jesus to say, when Satan comes to sift me, don't touch my boy. But Jesus knows that I need to be refined, that I, I have to be sifted in order to be produced a different level in me. Now, sifting, what is sifting? Uh, those of you who bake know what sifting flour is, right? You put the flour in a sifter and you grind it and it goes through the little screen and it removes lumps and impurities, things like that from flour. It also creates volume to the flour so the, whatever you're baking has more fluff, more, more, more umph to it. And that's exactly what Jesus said. Satan is going to take you through the grinder. We're going to get some stuff out of you and we're going to put some stuff in you because sifted flour makes great bread. And we are to be broken bread and poured out wine so people could feed off us until they could feed off Jesus. Oswald Chambers said in Bible was for his highest. So with all that thinking in mind, I'm going, why would Jesus do that? Because Jesus, when he said that to Peter, knew Peter better than Peter knew himself. And he knows you better than you know yourself. And Jesus had a comeback plan for Peter. In fact, Jesus is the comeback king. If you can come back from the grave, you can come back from anything. If you come back from the grave, you can take those who followed you back from anything. And he had a comeback plan for Peter. And I want to say this, my friends. He has a comeback plan for you. And as I speak this morning, some of you are dredging up the stuff in your life that you fell from and Satan's beating you with it like a, like a flaming stick. And I want, you to, I want you to know this. You can say this to Satan. Shut your pie hole. You don't have to listen to this because Jesus is interceding for you. The second conversation <clears throat> I love about Jesus, and it really goes with this first conversation that I mentioned earlier, is found in John chapter 21. This is after Jesus' resurrection, and Jesus has an encounter with, the, with some of his disciples, particular Peter, on a beach in Galilee. And I love the place. When you go, those of you who are going to Israel with me, we're going to go to that beach. We're going to go to that beach. How do we know it's that beach? Because it's the only beach on the Sea of Galilee that a freshwater stream flows out of the hills into Galilee. It's that place. It's the very same place where Jesus said to Peter, Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And in that place, Jesus begins a process of giving Peter hope from failure. So why don't we do this? Why don't we lean in and listen to this conversation and allow this conversation to spill over into our lives and find out how Jesus wants to give you hope 
in spite of your failures. Y'all ready for this? All right, that's five of you. That's exciting. How about this side? Y'all ready for this? These guys are more spiritual than y'all are, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. <clears throat> and I pray that you speak through me. That will not be my thoughts or my words, but Father, your truth that will transcend and teach us how to live all for you. Father, you know um, my angst in even talking through this. But Father, there is no spirit of fear within you, but only a power and love and a sound mind. And I pray, oh God, that you'll minister to these folks, custom made, those who listen in this room, those who listen online, that you might build their lives and say they may, they may honor you. And we pray this all in Christ's strong name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to take your, your notes out, your take the weekend with you, God. I want to remind you of the online resources we provided for you. We have a, a devotional. It's right on the front page of our website. If you go to fbcwimberly.com, click on the devotional. You can download it, print it, and read it. You can put it on your phone. You can read it. It's in a Google Doc form. So uh, that's accessible to you. Uh, I was uh, kind of had the, y'all ever get the mully grubs? You know what that is? Nobody loves me, everybody hates me, think I'm gonna go eat worms, bite their heads off, suck, suck their juice out, throw their skins away. You ever get like that? Well, I had one of those weeks this week <clears throat> until some people said to me, Pastor, we really appreciate the resources you provided for us. They are really helping us. I went, oh, really? I'm making a difference? All for Jesus? Who knew? What God knew, and so I want you to invite you to take advantage of it. Also, we have group material online. Now, you could use that with your groups that gather. You could use that individually, and those are videos that are available that go a little bit deeper. Last week, we talked about Ruth, how God restored hope to her. This week, we're going to talk about Jonah and a fish story that is fascinating, so you might want to plug it into that video as well. But here's some thoughts I want you to jot down, and we're going to look at this conversation. Here's the first thought I want you to hold on to. Failure doesn't remove you from the love of God. How do I know that? Because Paul said in Romans chapter eight, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Now, do, do you believe that? And it's true. Nothing can. Let me read this for you. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. Why is that? Well, we'll talk about that in a second. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And he said to them, Hey, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some fish. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quality, the quantity of the fish. That disciple who Jesus loved, that's John, that was who's writing this, this, uh, this gospel. Uh, the, the disciple Jesus loved uh, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had stripped for work or stripped down his outer garment and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. So they were not far from the land, but 100, about 100 yards off. So Peter swam to the beach. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in, in, in place and fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, 
full of large fish, 153 of them, which I find it interesting that John would tell you how many fish they caught. And although there were so many, the net was not torn, another miracle. And Jesus said to them, uh, just a caveat, I love the way John in his writing gives such eyewitness detail. I mean, just such eyewitness detail. Because he wants you to know, this is true, this really happened. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And it was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, that's a long passage, but let me say some things to you. On that very beach, it's called the, the beach at Tagaba, that not only did Jesus call uh, Peter, and James, and John to come follow me as they were fishing, not only did he have the charcoal fire, but he also fed the 5,000 with what? Bread and fish. Bread and fish. So Jesus was really showing these guys a deeper level of his sustaining power and his way he loves you and reminds you of his great love. You see, Jesus comes looking for his wayward boys. I love that. Hey, let's go fishing. You know you can run from God, but he's big. And you'll run into him. And when you're running from God and you, you depart from him and you say, I'm not going to believe in you, I'm not going to go in your way, God will allow you to run into him because he's looking for his wayward boys. I love that about God. He is the pursuing God. Now, why did they go back to fishing? I chased that down. I read every kind of commentary about that. I, I called my brother, who's the Johann theologian, theologian expert, I said, Stan, why did they go back to fish? And he said, Scott, they were fishermen. They probably had some bills they needed to pay, and they needed to earn a little cash. So they went out to do what they do, and they went to catch some fish so they could sell the fish so they could pay off mama's shoe debt. And it made a lot of sense to me, the practicality of them returning. Now, some theologians said, well, you know, Peter was rejecting his call to ministry, and he was going back to what he once knew. Uh, possibly. But I like the practicality that these guys just didn't know what to do, so they went back to doing what they always knew to do. Let's go fishing. Got to pay some bills. Let's go fishing. In fact, here's the deal. How do you think the ministry got funded with Jesus? So he said, well, there was, there was some women who followed Jesus who had resources, and they gave her their resources, and they supported the ministry. That's true. But they also sold a bunch of dadgum fish to pay for the ministry. These guys were fishermen. They knew how to make money. It was the practicality of Jesus leveraging our gifts to resource his ministry. And it hasn't changed today. So I love the fact that the first calling of Jesus was still intact, although Peter had let Jesus down. Now, some of you recall that just not too many days before that, Peter had denied Jesus three times. He said, I don't know him. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I have nothing to do with him. And then the rooster crowed. Now I got to reading about the rooster crowing. And some people said, well, you know, that really wasn't an actual chicken uh, that crowed. It was probably someone heralding the dawn and they just called him the rooster. And I say, you're full of bullcorn. That's not true. 
It was a dadgum chicken. You know why I know it's a dadgum chicken? Because Baptists have been eating chicken ever since to pay back that rooster for what he did all those years ago. Does that make sense? Fried chicken, baked chicken, grilled chicken, we eat the chicken to get back at that dadgum rooster. I should write that in my commentary, right? But Jesus had left him down. Now, the first time, get this, the first time Peter had a calling encounter. Now, before the calling encounter uh, that Peter had with Jesus in his boat, Peter had several other encounters with Jesus. He had an encounter with Jesus when he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. He had an encounter with Jesus then. He had an encounter with Jesus when his brother, Andrew, brought Peter to meet Jesus. And then Jesus defined his life by calling Peter. And then now in the restoration Jesus takes Peter back to the very place of his calling. Andre Crouch, some of you are old enough to remember him. He said, he used to sing this song, take me back, take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first believed you. Take me back to the place where I first believed you. And God, in his tender mercy and his understanding of you and your personality will often take you back to the place of your calling. It might have been a little backwoods church in East Texas. <clears throat> it could be on your daddy's knee in the humidity of a Northwest Florida summer afternoon. I don't know where, but the Lord loves you enough where he will take you back to the place. And some of you think your failure has omitted God's call in your life. And that's just not true. God wants to restore you. Why? Because Jesus is not alarmed by your failure. Jesus is not going, oh, they failed again. No, he's called it. He's predicted it. He knows it. Satan has asked permission to sift each one of you like, but I pleaded in prayer with you that your faith will not fail. And when you've repented and returned, when don't waste a good sifting. Mm. You know, the similarities, the call of Peter and the restoration of Peter were very intentional, very intentional. I've discovered that God loves to retrace the steps of his faithfulness in my life to remind me of his love and provide and his provision and reaffirm me of my standing with him. God loves to do that. You see, Jesus took Peter right back to the place. This is what my brother told me. I'm gonna read it to you because it's so good. And I was writing as fast as I could. Jesus took Peter right back to the place where he called him and then he recalled him. He recalled him. This time, the calling was with grace and not with instruction. The first time, Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. This next time, Jesus said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. He just upped the ante of the call and reaffirmed him with grace. This calling was the revealing of God's grace that would make him the warrior the rock, the great man of God that God desired for him. 
It took a bitter experience of total failure to come back to be what Jesus had called him to be initially. Whoo! Really? 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 And I trace my life and I realize that God takes my mess and makes it messages, takes my misery and makes it ministry, that I cannot fall so far that his grace cannot scoop me up and redeem me and use me. It does not give me an excuse to fail, but it gives me hope in the middle of my failure that I have a God who loves me and will restore me. And it changes me. And it changes us. You know how it changes us? We lose the judgmentalism. We lose it. And we stop looking at people like they're objects or they're dumpster fires or whatever. And we start seeing them through the eyes of God and the eyes of God's love. God loves people. He loves you. I've been all over this world. <clears throat> I've stared at the faces of Cambodians and know that God loves them. I pastored in Canada. I know God loves them, eh? I've sat with people from Thailand and from India and from Africa and from Central Europe and, and from Asia and Central Asia. And I've sat with all these people. I've sat with people from South America and Central America and people that were illegal and people that were not illegal. And what does, does that mean? And, and all this stuff. And I know that God loves people. He loves them. And his grace is colorblind. And his grace is sufficient. And he doesn't look at people the way we look at people. He doesn't say, oh, these people are better than these people. No, he knows we're people and he knows we need saving and we know we need his grace and he knows we fail. And he says, I've come to redeem you. And it changes me. And it changes my heart. And it should change us. And change our hearts. There's so many times when I'm digging around in scripture, I start chasing theological rabbits. <clears throat> I'm prone to wander off course. I need a focus fox. So I, uh, that's the focus fox, by the way. My little granddaughter calls it Papa Fox because I do that to her. I said, Papa Fox, he talks. And see, I need him right now. Okay. <laughs> but I started chasing this thing about 153 fish. What is the deal with 153 fish? And so I tried to make it something spiritual. Well, 153 fish, that probably is the number of people groups in the world that have yet to be reached by the gospel of Jesus. No, there's like thousands of people groups in the world. 153 fish. Well, that's probably uh, the number of times that Jesus revealed himself in miraculous ways through the gospel. No. Do you know those 153 fish? Because they were dead gum fishermen, they were counting how many they're going to sell to make a little cash. And this little detail is then again John authenticating his position as an eyewitness. It was 153. We counted them. Now, we ate a few of them, but we sold the rest of them because the ministry needs some resources and we took care of that. And this is really what happened. Wow. Now, something else I noticed that they caught nothing without Jesus. 
and then they caught everything with Jesus. Why is that? Because earlier in the book of John, John says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. And Jesus was teaching them once again to abide in him, to abide in him. You know what the word abide means? It means stay put. Stay put. To stay put in him. You see, God loves you so much to allow you to be broken. A.W. Tozer, the great theologian, he said this, God never uses a man greatly until he has wounded him deeply. Now, Scott Tidwell and I had this conversation about this quote of Tozer. He said, didn't Tozer say God never uses a man greatly until he has been wounded deeply? I said, no, no. God says until he has wounded him deeply. Because God allows Satan to sift us. You've been wounded? God's going to use you greatly. You have the choice of allowing God to use you or you become self-centered, focused, and bitter. And then you become a scourge to the brethren instead of starizo, the strengthener of the brethren. Peter's response to Jesus at this encounter was vastly different from his first response to Jesus at the first encounter. The first encounter is recorded in Luke chapter five. Peter says, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. This response, he gets out of the boat and he swims to Jesus. Why? Because Peter had experienced the amazing grace of Christ. And he knew that Jesus, by this time, he knew that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Mm. Because ringing in Peter's ears, he had heard these things. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. Take up your pallet and walk. And when you hear the voice of Jesus offering forgiveness to the vilest and the broken, you know that Jesus can forgive you. And he can. And he can. You see, failure can refine you. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, <clears throat> do you love me more than these? I, I, I'm going to chase this rabbit just for a second. Uh, Simon, son of uh, Barjona, or John, or Jonah, another famous fisherman. Jonah had a well of a story. You, you'll learn more about that in the video this week. Do you love me more than these? And he said, and the word Jesus used for love is agape, unconditional. Do you love me more, unconditionally more than these guys? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I, that I love you. Phileo, brotherly love. I love you like a brother, dude. Fist bump. And then Jesus said, feed my lambs. Then he said to him second time, Simon said of John, do you love me? And yes, Lord, you know that I, Phileo, love you like a brother. He said to him, feed tend my sheep. Then he said to him the third time, Simon said to John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved 
Because he said to him a third time, do you, do you love me? Really, Peter? Why did Jesus ask you three times that you, if you loved him? Because you stinking denied him three times. And you get your feelings hurt. You get swole up when Jesus says, what are you doing? I've heard people say, well, I'm mad at God. Well, how's that working for you? You're mad at the very one who could bring you life and hope and peace. And one thing I've discovered with God, that he will allow you to be mad with him, but he will not be ignored. He will stand there in front of you. Have at it, get mad all you want to, but do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You said you didn't know me, but do you love me? Oh, I love you like a brother. I don't want no love like a brother. I want love like a God. Because I'm a God. I'm your God. Do you love me? I just, I get so indignant when I read this about Peter getting swollen up, getting mad at Jesus because Jesus challenged him. Then I realize I am Peter. I am Peter. Then he said to him, you know, the Lord didn't back up from his grieving. He said, Lord, you know, you know, every, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And then, of course, the rest of the conversation, Peter tries to change course, and Jesus keeps pulling him back. <clears throat> it's what we love to do. Jesus gets in our stuff, and he starts working us, and we say, yeah, well, well what about him? Jesus said, don't worry about him. You worry about you. What about him? I think I told you all that we know that the, that the disciples were not Baptists because when the Lord said, so one of you will betray him, they said, Lord, is it I? All of them said, Lord, if it was Baptist, they said, Lord, is it him? Because that's what we like to do. We like to leverage our spirituality based on the broken of somebody else. Well, Lord, at least I'm not like them. Right? In fact, we hang out with some folks just because we feel better about Jesus because we hang out with them. That's why some of y'all are my friends. <laughs> but that's not true. God loves you. Now, Jesus was calling Peter to a deeper devotion because he knew what was ahead of Peter. He knew it. He knew Peter would preach at Pentecost. He knew Peter would change the dietary laws of Judaism. He knew that Peter would, would be crucified upside down. He knew those things. And he was calling them to that deeper level of devotion. Do you notice Jesus is asking for a total devotion and Peter was offering brotherly love? And Jesus ain't into brotherly love. He's in total devotion. Why? Because he doesn't want you to go back to the place of your failing. Peter never, ever, ever again denied the Lord. Ever. This course of asking about how do you love me was giving him the assignment, the call to the deeper life, which includes service to others. The deeper life of devotion is not that you know more scripture, but you live out scripture in giving your life away to tending sheep and feeding lambs. Every one of you is a minister. And if you do not have a ministry, what are you doing? Well, we serve God by showing up to listen to you. <laughs> really? I know it's painful, but really? How are you investing your life 
and giving your hope away. You see, your failure is your future, or it could be your refinement. Your response to Jesus will shape your life. And sifting of Satan that Peter experienced caused Jesus to restore Peter, and Peter became the strengthener. Sifted wheat makes great bread. I've said that already. You guys know who Bear Grylls is? He's the guy that does the, the adventure. He takes people out in the wilderness and he likes celebrities and they climb stuff and repel stuff and eat stuff. And <clears throat> he's an adventurer. Bear, Gry Bear Grylls, this is what most people don't know about him, is a serious Christ follower. He's trained special forces, military training, amazing discipline. And he's a, a serious Christ follower. He said this, never trust a leader who doesn't limp. Some of y'all watched me and said, what's wrong with you? Great leaders limp. <laughs> That's not talking about the physical discomfort of a bad knee. It's talking about really leveraging the brokenness in our life to lead others, people to life. And that's a life of Christ. I own my stuff because Jesus owns me. Whew. Humility that comes by being broken is the fruit, the sweet fruit of the tree of life that gives life to others. The great question in this passage is, do you love me? Do you love me? We could see that in this passage that Peter was unsure of Jesus, but Jesus was never unsure of Peter. I love that about him. When I wrote those words this week, I went, man. There's an old B.B. McKinney song that came to my mind. I'm satisfied with Jesus. He's done so much for me but is my master satisfied with me? And the answer is, yeah, he loves me. He loves you. Peter denied Jesus, but Jesus would never deny Peter. And Jesus will never deny you. Wow. A couple of weeks from now, the Olympics start. You guys like the Olympics? Tara and I are Olympic junkies. We, we love it. There's a few sporting events that we kind of ignore until they get into the playoffs. You know, baseball's one of them until the World Series comes. We, we really don't pay attention. Then we, World Series, we watch it. Uh, NFL football, this year's kind of like, it's got a sour taste in its mouth, but we, we watched a little bit of it last night. We watched New England continue their dynasty run, and even though I wanted Tennessee to win. It's kind of like pulling against Alabama, pulling against it. You just need to root against the evil empires of the world. <laughs> Don't email me over that. I'm just playing sort of. <clears throat> and uh, we, we love the Olympics and so we'll watch the Olympics. And, and um, 1992, in the Summer Olympics, there was a British runner named Derek Redmond and he's running the 400. And uh, he takes off and he was actually... Uh, Pre, pre, uh, prognosticated to win a medal in the Olympics, one of the favorites. And he takes off, and around the, th the second corner, he blows out his hamstring. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever pulled a hamstring, but it will take you down. Now, here's a world-class athlete. In the race of his life, he blows out his hamstring. Everybody keeps running, and he is really debilitated. So he gets up, and he says, I'm going to finish. And he just starts dragging this leg to the finish. Out of the grandstands comes his daddy. Now, the officials are trying to keep this guy away, but he kept pushing him back. He said, I'm his daddy. I'm his daddy. And his daddy comes and he puts his arm around his son and he carries them to the finish line. I want to say this to you. Out of the great grandstands of your life comes your daddy God to take you to the finish because it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And I'm going to finish with Jesus. How about you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've said to us this morning in your word. How it's just been so pointed and, and, and intimate and detailed to the very season of our life. And every one of us in this room, we have fallen and we can't get up. But from heaven, from the grandsons of our life, comes you, our great God, who will rescue us and thank you and you restore us with hope that we might be hope to others. To others. So Father, don't let us shrink back, but let us run to you. Thank you that you're there looking for us. Folks, with your heads bowed, I don't know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you today, what you need to come back from, but would you just come back? Maybe in the, the honesty of this moment, you say, Jesus, you know where I failed. You know. You know where I've come short. And, but Jesus, I'm coming back to you. I'm coming back to you. I'm not coming back to legalism. I'm not coming back to religion. I'm not coming back. I'm coming back to you, Jesus. And I want you to take my failure and I want you to use my life. Use my life for your glory. Maybe this morning for the first time in your life, you need to find Jesus and ask his forgiveness and become his child. Maybe the fast beating of your heart right now is because Jesus is asking you to give your life to him. Why don't you just do that? To pray right now and say, Jesus, I'm yours. I give you my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be my savior. Jesus, I'm yours. Could you just pray that? Jesus, I'm yours. And church, could we say, although we're broken, we're going to give hope to the broken because out of our brokenness will come great bread that the nations of the earth may feed on us as they feed on Jesus. Jesus, we are yours. We are yours. Father, do in us what only you could do. And we pray this in your strong name. Amen.